A social worker, Maria, is working with the Johnson family who have a history of genetic disorders. The youngest child, eight-year-old Emily, has been diagnosed with a genetic condition that affects her physical and cognitive development. The parents are concerned about the implications for their other two children, age 12 and 14, who have not shown any symptoms. The family is struggling to cope with Emily's needs and the uncertainty surrounding the genetic risk for their other children. Maria recognizes the importance of incorporating an understanding of basic principles of human genetics into her work with the family to provide appropriate support and guidance. What would be the first step for Maria regarding her work with the Johnson family? So we've got A, arrange for genetic counseling for the entire family to understand the risks and implications of the genetic condition. We have B, provide educational resources to the family about genetic disorders and inheritance patterns. We've got C, encourage the family to have their other children tested for the genetic condition. We have D, focus on developing a care plan specifically for Emily addressing her unique developmental needs. Okay, so we're gonna first look at A. Should we keep A or do we get rid of A? Y'all can blow up the chat if y'all want, but my people up here, are we keeping A or do we take it out? I'll be checking the chat as well. Hello? I'm gonna say toss it. Okay, Marie says toss it. Um, anybody else? Sheila, Nicole? Can y'all hear me? What's happening? Yeah, I can hear you. I'm just reading. Reading oh. again. <laughs> <laughs> people still reading? Because they used to be that people would be blowing it up in the chat. But um, the link works, right? Are people still reading in there too? Mm -hmm. The link works. Just trying to have to go between screens. Oh, yeah. Look, I was trying to look. Trying to make it better for y'all instead of me typing that thing in there every time. <laughs> so tell me if I can keep A or, you know, get rid of it. Miss um, Hunter says keep it. Yeah, I said keep it for now. Okay. Nicole, you still looking at it? I am. My, my, I had to relocate myself because the connection was she said poor. relocate myself. <laughs> <laughs> but oh. I, I, I agree. Keep it for now. Okay. Maurice, the only dude up here. Um, he said he agrees, I think. So let's keep it for now. Remember, we got to eliminate the two. What about B, provide educational resources to the family about genetic disorders and the inheritance pattern? Keep it. Mm -mm. I say toss it. Okay, toss it. Okay, Miss Hunter says keep. Okay. So we got a mixture here. So we'll just keep A and B just for now. What about C? What about C, y'all? What are we doing with it? Um, I would say toss it. You can do that, but not 
that wouldn't be the first thing, I don't think. Okay. We can toss C. That's fine, too. All right, Michael says toss C. Cool. What about D? We'll be doing about D. Focus on developing a care plan, specifically for Emily addressing her unique developmental needs. Do we keep that or get rid of it? I was thinking to toss it because it's it's a family question, I feel. Okay, then that's fine. Yeah, I okay. agree. All right, so now we're down to two. We're down to A, arrange for genetic counseling for the entire family to understand the risk and implications of the genetic condition. Then we got B, provide educational resources to the family about genetic disorders and inheritance patterns. Which one do we choose? What, which one are we choosing, y'all? What are we doing? Y'all quiet in here tonight. I'm thinking A. Okay. I say A as well. Tell me about A. So it seems like A is educating the family, an entire family, to understand the risks of the genetic condition. So I think first step you would want to do is educate the family so they have a you know, some type of understanding on what they're agreeing to. Okay. I like that. Yeah, I like Anybody that. I want to add to it. And I guess out the A, you can provide them with additional resources. Okay. So I want to go back for a second, because this there's a KSA here that's being tested. It is an application question. We're talking about um, genetic disorders. Well, anyone know what KSA is that? Especially this is a, this could be a master's or it could be a clinical question because both of them on the ASW outline cover that subtopic. Y'all got turkey brain already. It's cool. So it is it's gonna be human Answer between clients. It's gonna be human behavior. Yeah, oh. human behavior and you know, intervention. But so it's definitely gonna be the KSA would be human behavior. Um specifically when we're talking about implications of when we're uh talking about genetics. So that, well, basic principles of human genetics. That's actually underneath the human development, diversity, and behavior in their environment. Subtopic, human growth and development. Um, if I'm looking at the master examination content outline, and it's the same for the clinical master examination content outline of ASWB. So that is the subtopic that is being tested. <laughs> Alexander, <laughs> what she said, what was the question again? KSA. Yes, uh, Ms. Brown got it. Knowledge, skills, assessment. That's exactly what they're testing. <laughs> um, I call it KSAs and ASW calls it KSAs in terms of the concepts that they're testing when it comes to 
the application and reasoning questions. So on the master's in clinical, especially, it's going to be really important for you guys to know what they're testing in the beginning. So I often tell um, colleagues, look at who you're serving, which is the Johnson family. What is the presenting problem that they came in with? So Maria is working with a Johnson family who has a history of genetic disorders right there tells me chief complaint. It also touches on what is the subject matter that the ASWB application question is testing me on. Then you have the dynamics of who's in the family. You have the youngest child, eight-year-old Emily, has a genetic condition that affects her physical and cognitive development, right? So the parents are concerned about the implications for their other two children, 12 and 14. So they're giving me ages here of these children. So it would be human behavior because, of course, you would need to know how do these genetic disorders affect these children at their age and what is the normal development of those ages? Do you see the application piece that I'm talking about? And then what is the real presenting problem? It says the family is struggling to cope with Emily's needs and the uncertainty surrounding the genetic risk for their other children. So you as a social worker recognize the importance of incorporating an understanding of basic principles of human genetics into her work with the family to provide appropriate support and guidance. That piece right there is actually what you're focusing on. So in terms of the first step, it would be to do A, arrange for genetic counseling for the entire family to understand the risk and implications of the genetic condition. So briefly, let's talk about why it's not the other choices. Why would be they would be less appropriate as a first step? So we've got B, provide educational resources to the family about genetic disorders and inheritance patterns. So while providing educational resources is important, it's more effective after the family has a foundational understanding of their specific genetic situation which can be best provided through genetic counseling. Genetic counseling offers more personalized expert guidance that general educational resources cannot. So that would take out B. Now let's look at C. Encourage the family to have their other children tested for the genetic condition. Suggesting testing for the other kids is a significant step that should follow a thorough understanding of the risks and implications, which can be best assessed through genetic counseling. It is premature to recommend testing before the family has had a chance to discuss the situation with a genetic counselor. So that is why C would be out. Now let's look at D. Focus on developing a care plan specifically for Emily addressing her unique developmental needs. D would specifically be out, even though a care plan is crucial, it doesn't address the family's immediate concern about the genetic risk for the other children. So using a more comprehensive approach through genetic counseling, it can provide a foundation for both understanding the risk and planning care for Emily. So in conclusion, <laughs> therefore, arranging for genetic counseling is the most appropriate first step as it provides the family with expert guidance and information necessary to make informed decisions about further steps, including testing for the other children and developing a care plan for Emily. 
Now, I know that was an extensive answer, but I'm going to be doing this more often because it's one thing to get the answer right. I want you guys to understand why the answer is right. I want you guys to understand where, what is the KSA they're testing, and I want you guys to understand how to really identify that because when it comes to application, which is the hardest part of the exam, you have to be able to tie in what is the content area they're testing. And depending on whether you have the right study guide or not, is my study guide aligned in a way that I can pull examples of what that content looks like in real time? If you can't do that, I'm telling you right now, you're in trouble because that tells me that the study guide that you're using doesn't work for how you process questions or the information that's in front of you. That is particularly very important for master level and clinical level licensures. That is what makes the test harder. And you may, some of you guys have known me for a while, so you guys already know what I'm going to say. If you're using something and you're not sure if it's working, we need to have a conversation. If you're using something, if you used it several times, we need to have a conversation, okay? You cannot keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. There are a lot of different things out there. Some things work for some people, not for others. There are popular self-study programs. There are tutors, which are great, but not all of them teach uniformity. Okay, so be very, very careful when you're looking at these questions because on the test, you not only have to be able to answer them correctly, you got to make sure you have the right content to answer them correctly. And you got to make sure, because this is one question, right? We may get lucky getting the right answer on this question, but there are 170 reasoning and application questions. You got to make sure you have the right content to answer them and be confident in that answer each time. Okay, so that's my little, that's a little tidbit, <laughs> okay? Because I get a lot of calls from a lot of colleagues and I see a lot of those pain points. So when we're breaking down the questions in this space, I want you to practice asking yourself, what are they testing for? Now we're gonna go to the next one. A social worker, James, is working with the Allen family who are navigating complex family dynamics following the recent passing of the patriarch, Mr. Allen. The eldest son, 25-year-old Michael, has taken on the responsibility of being the family's primary provider, a role previously held by his father. This shift has caused tension within the family, particularly with his younger sister, Emily, who feels that her opinion and contributions are being overlooked. The mother, Mrs. Allen, is struggling to adapt her new role as a single parent. James recognizes the importance of understanding and applying role theories to assist the family in adjusting to their new dynamic. What would be the least appropriate action for James to take in assisting the Allen family? So we've got A, encourage family discussions where each member can express their feelings about the changing family roles. We've got B, suggest individual counseling for Michael to help, to help him adapt to his new role as the family's primary provider. We've got C, organize a family role play session to help each member understand the other's perspective. We've got D, advocate for maintaining the status quo 
in family roles to avoid further disruption. So because we're on a time schedule, we got about 30 minutes left. We want to make sure we get the end of these questions in. Let's look at A. Do we keep A or do we get rid of it? What are we doing with it? Get rid of it. Okay. B, what are we doing with it? Keep it. Yeah, keep it. C, what are we doing with it? Get rid of it. Get rid of it. D, what are we doing with it? Get rid of it. Does everyone else agree? Yes. Okay. Ooh, so. Uh-oh, when she said. Well, I actually crossed out that. the right. Mm -hmm. Y'all already know. crossed out the right answer. Y'all right. <laughs> All right. Leah, look, so look. Is it let's, D? It is. Let's let's break this down, though. Let's let's oh, go. Oh gosh. Okay. Look, look, because y'all gotta get this right. All right. So remember, when it comes to lease, you need to check off everything you would be doing. Lease and not everything you would be doing to get to the one thing you would not do. You need to make sure you understand and you know what the presenting problem is in this question. And you need to know again, what are they testing? So KSAs, human behavior, they're testing role theories. And you gotta be able to apply it to the scenario because the answer was actually in the question. So let's look at, we're gonna go through this from uh, top to bottom. So let's look at A, encourage family discussions where each member can express their feelings about the changing family roles. So this approach of course would be a uh, promoting open communication, allowing each family member to express their feelings and they can help in understanding and resolving tensions is a fundamental part of addressing family's dynamics in therapy. This is actually a good approach to use if we're talking about changing family roles. So we would be doing A. B, suggest individual counseling for Michael to help him adapt to his new role as the family's primary provider. Individual counseling for Michael can provide him with support and guidance as he navigates his new responsibilities and the associated stress. It can also help him develop strategies to manage his relationship with other family members more effectively. That is why we would include A and B. And let's look at C, organize a family role play session to help each member understand the other's perspective. Role play can be a powerful tool in family therapy, allowing members to empathize with each other's positions and challenges. This can lead to a better understanding of each other's experiences and feelings. So that is why we would include C. Now remember guys, it says least. So D, advocate for maintaining the status quo and family roles to avoid further disruption. So this is the least appropriate action as it doesn't address the underlying issues the family is facing. Maintaining the status quo could perpetuate existing tensions and prevent the family from adopting to the new reality and finding new healthy ways to function. Change is often necessary, especially following a significant event like the loss of a family member. It's important for social workers to facilitate and support positive changes rather than resist them. This really goes back to making sure you understand family therapy, systems theory, and role theory. I know I said a mouthful, but I want you guys to really understand what they're testing here. 
Now it's cricket quiet again. <laughs> y'all quiet on me, why? Nothing. Y'all got nothing for me. Was that a no. quiet breakdown? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Got it. I finally got y'all this time, huh? Oh, we're going to keep going, though. All right. So we're going to go on to the next one. Hold on here. I believe this is question three. So Karen, a social worker, is tasked with evaluating a program at local nonprofit agency that provides mental health services to low-income families. The program aims to increase access to mental health care and reduce the stigma associated with seeking help. While the program has been operational for two years, there's a need to assess its effectiveness, efficiency, and impact. Karen must consider factors like client satisfaction, service accessibility, program costs, and overall outcomes. The agency's funding largely depends on demonstrating the program's success and its impact on the community. Karen is exploring various methods to comprehensively evaluate the program. What would be the most appropriate method for Karen to use in evaluating the agency's mental health service program? So we've got A, conduct a needs assessment to determine if the program is addressing the community's current needs. We've got B, implement a formative assessment to evaluate the program's processes and immediate outcomes. We've got C, carry out a cost-benefit analysis to compare the program's expenses with the benefits to the community. We've got D, Perform an outcomes assessment focusing on long-term impacts of the program on the client's mental health. All right, so let's look at A. Do we keep it or throw it out? Keep it. Okay, B, do we keep it or throw it out? I'm looking at chat now. Keep <clears throat> keep for now. C. I'm getting y'all tonight, y'all. Y'all is quiet as this is quiet as it's been in a minute. Um, are we keeping C or are we tossing it? Get rid of it. What about D? Get rid of it. Okay. So, Shayla, you already said what the KSA was, huh? Yes. Program evaluation. Indeed. Oh, I hate program evaluation, but this is where we at. So, Let's look at this because I think you guys crossed out the wrong answer. <laughs> so program evaluation was not my strong point either. It's actually going to be D, performing outcomes assessment following focusing on long-term impacts of the program on the client's mental health. So let's kind of talk this through because there are a couple of things they were testing. Do you know what a needs assessment is? Do you know what a formative assessment is? Do you know what a cost-benefit analysis is? Do you know what an outcome assessment is? You would need to know what those terms are to be able to apply what it looks like. So let's start with A. 
conduct a needs assessment to determine if the program is addressing the community's current needs. A needs assessment is generally used before a program is developed to identify and understand the need of the community. Since the program has been operating for about two years, the focus should be on evaluating its effectiveness and impact rather than reassessing community needs. Okay, so A is out. B, implement a formative assessment to evaluate the program's processes and immediately um, outcomes. Formative program evaluate, uh, evaluations are useful to provide ongoing feedback to improve a program's process and early outcomes. So Karen's task is to assess the overall effectiveness and efficacy of the program after it has been running for two years, which is more aligned with summative evaluation methods like outcome assessments. So C, carry out a cost-benefit analysis to compare the program expenses with the benefit to the community. This one will also be out. So cost-benefit analysis, it's important to understand the financial efficacy of the program. It doesn't give a more comprehensive way of addressing the effectiveness and impact on a client's mental health, which is crucial for the program's evaluation in this context. So when we look at D, perform an outcomes assessment, focusing on long-term impacts of the program on the client's mental health, this method aligns directly with the objectives of assessing the program's effectiveness efficacy and impact. By having Karen focus on the long-term outcomes, she can evaluate how the program has made a difference in the mental health of the clients, which is a key indicator of its success and will provide valuable data to support funding and future program development. So I know that was a lot, but the best way I can tell you when it comes to program analysis or program evaluation or even research questions, I hated them all, you have to find examples that you understand um, in order to be able to apply it. Just recalling the information, trying to memorize it doesn't work. You have to have examples of what it looks like so you can recognize it and apply it to an application question such as this. So this is a little bit of recall, but it's a lot more application because you would need to know what is the correct assessment to use to apply to what Karen wants to accomplish. Okay? so. We are going to go to the next one. Um, I find it very interesting in chat since I put that link there. There's not much chatter going on. What's going on? Y'all still here? <laughs> um, everyone's so quiet in the chat. Um, but we'll go to the next one. I hope everyone could see the link. Um, Elaine, a clinical social worker, is working with Gina, a 32-year-old woman who has recently escaped a long-term abusive relationship. Jenna is currently living in a safe house and has begun counseling to address the trauma of domestic violence. She exhibits symptoms of PTSD, including flashbacks, severe anxiety, and avoidance behaviors. Jenna finds it difficult to trust people, including Elaine, and often cancels sessions or is non-communicative when she attends. Elaine recognizes the need to carefully navigate the therapeutic relationship to support Jenna's healing process, rebuild her trust, and address her complex trauma. She also understands the importance of integrating trauma-informed care principles in her approach. 
What would be the best approach for Elaine to take in addressing the impact of domestic violence on her helping relationship with Jenna? So let's look at A. <coughs> Encourage Jenna to attend group therapy sessions with other survivors of DV to build her trust in others. B, focus on establishing a strong therapeutic alliance with Jenna, emphasizing safety, trust, and respect in their sessions. We've got C, advise Jenna to engage in exposure therapy to confront and process her traumatic experiences. We've got D, coordinate with legal services to provide Jenna with assistance in uh, any ongoing legal issue related to her past relationships. Now, you guys already had the question in front of you, so let's kind of look at what we're going to eliminate. So A, do we keep A or do we throw it out? Throw it out. Throw it out. Okay. B, do we keep it or throw keep it out? Keep it. C, do we keep it or throw, throw it, out? it out? D, do we keep it or throw, throw it, it out? out? Okay. Why would B be correct? Because you don't trust the person. Okay. I like that answer. Not that Got to add a little bit, little bit more meat and potatoes here, though. Um, establishing a better relationship so she can feel more trusted. Okay. Maurice, what exam are you taking again? Is it the clinical? Oh, no, LMSW. Okay. So, Shayla, you're clinical, right? From what I remember. Uh, uh-uh. Oh, will you match? Why well, keep thinking you clinical? Nicole, what are you? Okay. <laughs> Nicole, you still there? Don't tell me she deserves. I am. I am. You I have to go between clinical, clinical, clinical. I, okay. So I'm going to pick on Nicole for a second. In this question, I, I want you guys, again, um, as a teacher, <laughs> trust is, is important, but why is it important? What in it, in this question, based on what they're testing you for, it's an application question. Michael, right? The KSA is not safety, though. <laughs> I just want to let you know. Uh, I was replying back to him in the chat. What is the KSA here? Anyone know what's being tested? Oh, Lord, you're going to make me give it to you. Trauma-informed <laughs> care principles. Right, because she's coming from... Uh abusive relationship and the clinical social workers trying to um, implement trauma-informed care. So she doesn't trust anyone based on the relationship she just came out of. So in order to make her feel comfortable, you have to provide trust and supportive and safe environment for her to be able to open up to you. Bingo. This is the piece, before I even get into any of the explanations, all my master's clinical people especially, this is the piece that content meets application. Trauma-informed care principles are in intervention with clients. That is one of the subtopics there. You have to be able to know what those principles are. One of them is, of course, um, building a strong alliance with the person, cultivating safety and trust with them. If you cannot do that, you will not get to evidence-based interventions. They will not work if that person doesn't trust you. They already have a long-standing history of trauma. 
I think also oh. having a positive relationship. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was looking at Miss Hunter in the chat. She said, Char, you are laying these questions out tonight. I try, girl. You know, I'm trying out these streets. I'm trying trying to get together. Um, but um, go ahead, Maurice. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's also important to have a positive relationship. It is. It, it is. These are the foundations of, you know, when people say, oh, you know, ASWB is trying to trick me. No, they're not trying to trick you. They're trying to, especially if you're on the higher level exams, they really want you to be able to not only read this stuff, but apply it. Because when you get out there and the, you guys know you're actually using this stuff in real time, it's just not, you know, laid out in a an academic format. It's the same thing with these questions in here. They were testing this social worker. Um, they were testing, she's saying, hey, I understand the importance of trauma-informed care principles. I need to integrate that in my approach with her. That was a good clue for you to know what the correct answer was. Right there. That was the KSA. What was the concept they were testing? If you don't know what trauma-informed care principles are, even if you didn't know that piece I shared about the, you know, laying down the, the foundational groundwork for your trauma, um, complex trauma client, you would need to know what those principles are to be able to apply it. That's why I tell you guys, again, it's not just about recalling. It's about you making a connection between content and what they're asking you to do. All right. So I'm going to kind of go lay out the rationales here. Um, anytime, Ms. Tally, you know, anytime. All right. So let's go into these rationales real quick. So I'm going to start with the ones that are not less appropriate. So A, encourage Jenna to attend group therapy sessions with other survivors of DV to build her trust in others. Now, group therapy is beneficial, y'all. It may be too overwhelming for her at this point in stage, especially given her difficulty in trusting people and her tendency to be non-communicative. Building a one-on-one -on -one therapeutic relationship be the first priority before doing group settings. So that's why A will be out. Now let's look at C. Advise Jenna to engage in exposure therapy to confront and process her traumatic experiences. Exposure therapy is a useful technique that's used with PTSD. I'm gonna say it one again. Exposure therapy, evidence-based practice, is often used with PTSD. Facing and controlling fear by being exposed to the trauma memory in a safe environment. That's going to be quite intense for a, a person that has a long-standing complex history, and it may not be the most appropriate early stages of therapy, especially for someone who's struggling with severe anxiety and trust issues. See what I'm talking about again, about that connection between knowing the interventions, knowing the diagnosis, and knowing what evidence-based practice go with which diagnosis is best. That's another way that they are testing y'all. So, and C, it's like exposure therapy. Right there, I knew as soon as it said exposure therapy, I'm like, mm -mm, that ain't it. Uh, <laughs> that is more, um, it's still trauma focused, but it's usually used effectively for PTSD, not for what this woman has. And it's too early to use something like that and could trigger her. Okay. So I'm throwing that out. And then let's look at D, coordinate with legal services to provide Jenna with assistance in ongoing legal issues related to her past relationships. 
So while addressing legal, that's important, it doesn't directly contribute to the therapeutic relationship between Elaine and Jenna. The primary focus of Elaine's role should be on Jenna's mental health and establishing a foundation of trust and safety in their sessions. Okay, so in contrast, option B, focusing on establishing a therapeutic alliance is crucial in trauma-informed care, creating a safe, respectful, trustworthy environment, which is essential for Jenna to feel comfortable and supported as she works through her traumatic experiences. Cool. I think I did well with that question and breakdown. Y'all ready for the next one? I'm guessing y'all are because it's quiet. All right, so we're going to go on. Let me get 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 it together over here. Hold on. All right, here we go. A clinical social worker, David, is conducting assessment with a new client. Hint, hint, new client. I'm sorry, I had to say that again. 29-year-old Anita, who has been referred for symptoms of chronic stress and anxiety. Anita, a single mother of two young children, worked to jobs, two jobs to support her family. She reports feeling constantly overwhelmed and exhausted. She has difficulty sleeping, is easily irritated, and finds little time for self-care. Anita also mentions feeling socially isolated since she has little time to interact with friends or participate in community activities. During the assessment, David notes that Anita's physical health seems to be declining as she mentions frequent headaches and a recent increase in blood pressure. David recognizes the need to comprehensively assess the indicators of psychosocial stress in Anita's life to plan appropriate interventions. What would be the best approach for David to take in assessing stress in Anita's situation? A, immediately refer Anita to physician for a full medical evaluation of her physical symptoms. B, explore Anita's social support network and the extent of her social interactions. C, conduct a detailed review of Anita's daily schedule to identify areas of excess, um, excessive stress and time constraint. D, recommend Anita start medication for stress and anxiety management. Now, of course, this is an application question. I kind of hinted with y'all in the beginning. Um, new client, that's all I'm going to say. Now, looking at this, <laughs> A, will we keep it or are we throwing it out? What are we doing with it? Throw it out. Everyone else agree? Yeah, throw it out. Yeah. All right. B? Throw it out. Throw it out. C? Keep it. Keepers. D? Throw it out. Throw it out. Cool. Why would C be correct? Because you want to explore what's going on. So looking at her schedule and the things you can kind of see what she has going on throughout the day and help you determine what's going on, the problem causing the stress. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say what C is um, using partializing technique with her trying to prioritize what's most important to her and what's causing the most stress. So you want to try to ease that stress for a client by identifying the areas that's causing the most stress to her to ease her load. Boop. Okay. So let's break this one down. So C is the correct answer. So you guys were right. 
But I think because I gave y'all a hint, I'm, I'm not going to give y'all the credit, but I'll, I'll try to give y'all some credit. <laughs> so oh, you're funny. <laughs> let me give, I'm going to give y'all the rest um, here. So let's start with A. Immediately refer Anita to a physician for a full medical evaluation of her physical symptoms. So while addressing your physical health, that is important. It's immediate referral to a physician may not address the underlying psychosocial stressors that's contributing to her symptoms. So we got to understand her daily challenges and stressors should come first, which can then inform any necessary medical referrals, which is why A would be out. Okay, let's look at B. Anita's social support network and the extent of her social interactions. While understanding her social support is important, it may not provide immediate insights into the direct causes of her stress and anxiety. A detailed review of her daily schedule is likely to offer more immediate, <coughs> actionable information on her stressors. D, recommend Anita start medication for stress and anxiety management. Medication is important. It's a part of treatment planning, but... It should not be the first step without a comprehensive assessment of a needed situation. Medication can help manage symptoms, but does not address the root cause of her stress. So option C, which you guys did rightfully get right, is correct. It can help David understand the specific challenges Anita has, such as workload, lack of self-care time, and parenting responsibilities, and then develop a tailored intervention plan that follows.